0: Latest news and the return to play for all the community clubs in Wales in this week's Welsh Rugby Union podcast. How can clubs train? What needs to be done? What sort of rugby might they play? When might competitive rugby return in Wales? Questions for WIU Community Director Gareth John. On the back of some popular webinars for club representatives, it's a chance to explain the latest developments and look forward to what might happen next. Well, Geron, thanks for coming on again. It's a fascinating time. Is there a feeling at the Wru maybe that the phony war is slightly over and things are beginning to, to start?
1: Well, it's interesting that I think sort of somebody said on a call we had the other day sort of I think we may have seen a small light at the end of the tunnel. When we finally get to that light and through the tunnel is uh, is probably another question we can't really answer that. But I think with the latest announcements, with us coming out to say that uh, you know from August the first registration opens and we're sanctioning training for people out there, there's there's hope that there's some uh, light at the end of the tunnel. As I said, and you know some clubs will start being active and they'll, we'll probably see youngsters and senior players out in rugby clubs uh, could be from August the 1st onwards so uh, that'll be nice to see but as we've advised people it doesn't mean that the season is about to start uh, pretty soon and that normality will return pretty soon. It's uh, There's still a long way to go and the stage that we're in we could be in that particular stage for a long period of time but by the time August the 1st comes around we'll have another government announcement on July the 31st and we uh, Hopefully, we'll have a little more guidance and uh, another direction of travel.
0: And you've been running webinars with the clubs allowed to obviously join in and listen, and they've been really well attended, which I suppose shows the level of interest there is out there.
1: It does, and I think you know we thank all the fantastic volunteers that we have out there and the coaches, the administrators, people who run the clubs. You know, Part of our process is that every single club has to have a COVID operations manager, that's mandatory for us. It's important that they have that and and our internal staff have been exceptional. You know, as many people are aware, majority of our staff are on furlough, not in work. And then the people who are in work are probably going over and above their course of duty to get things done, write things down and deal with all the questions that come forward. So we've got club operations managers out there for COVID programme. We've put an operations guideline together, a document that is out there with all our clubs to help them to uh, start training safely and that's been probably the key thing for us is that it, it's safe we want got people to be prepared we want people to be planned and uh, part of these webinars as you said you know we've started them on one of the calls over 430 last week on a call on a webinar to discuss the stages usually with the clubs we have over 300 minimum last night we had a first aid ones in terms of the safety aspect with St. John's as well over 300 people again on that call last night which was again exceptional as you said it shows the interest that is out there but the enthusiasm that everybody's got to come back and play and the enthusiasm of people want to start some form of activity but what we've said all along is that we are going to do things in a phased approach and we are going to do things making sure that everybody comes back safely prepared and planned and that is vital for us and when government made that announcement in terms of 30 people can come back and be you know active we didn't sanction training straight away which i think sort of caused a little bit of a a stir out there and people questioned you know why aren't we allowed to go back straight away we've always said we said to government and we've said to other governing sports and we've said to sport wells and well sports association the reason we didn't come back straight away is is that we wanted to do it safely and do it correctly so we want to be part of a solution that uh, allows us to get back playing the game properly. And uh, the last thing we wanted was just mass gatherings and people out there without having had the correct education first. And uh, that's what we're doing and that's what we believe is the right way as well.
0: And on those webinars, are you finding a positive response, an understanding response? Fantastic. know,
1: <laughs> The hardest part is we're inundated with questions because everybody knows and usually the first question that comes in there is when are we playing? And that's probably the question we can't answer. But very, very positive. You know, the emails you get back, the messages during the webinar saying, you know, thanks very much. Thanks for all the hard work you're doing. Again, it's always about, you know, they want clarity. So our aim starting next week, we'll send out a an FAQ frequently ask questions and the answers to those questions to our clubs to make sure that they're aware of those who so support them again we have all the other groups as well we'll be doing webinars with them as well so it's not just about club land as well but they're vitally important to, you know we are a union of clubs and we've it's been important for us to get the message to them and to the operations manager but we've got our schools and our affiliates universities colleges so we've got to make sure that they're a, aware of what they can and can't do an inclusion program all the alternative programs in mixed ability disability walking rugby we've got a lot and our partners as well you know the key thing for us is that hopefully people will understand where we are as a governing body and will support our guidelines and nobody comes back any earlier than that and that's important for us you know anybody who participates in rugby our advice is that they listen to our guidelines and listen to what we're doing and we'll help them as much as we possibly can but um, obviously we need the questions from them as well, because uh, it helps us to do it together. And that's, that's probably the key thing.
0: So you're doing a lot, but there's a bit for all of those clubs to do as well, especially in terms of registration, contact details, you know, safety measures. There's plenty for them to do out there too in this period.
1: It's huge. We're not taking it for granted either. And I think the ask to be put on the volunteers and the, our administrators out there, We're asking them to do a lot of things in terms of getting their clubs ready, getting their change rooms ready, getting their fields, how they divide the fields up, the sanitization program, the sanitization kits, the health and safety measures. You know, players need to be registered online. Players will need to go on a course. You know, we've put it out there that our expectation is that they do the World Rugby COVID-19 course that is out there. And, you know, there's a course there for administrators and coaches and players. That doesn't take a couple of minutes to do. It's, it's important that they read the documents, read the guidelines of what they can and t- can't do and it'll be important that the clubs make sure that all their players who come back have read that and actually have that qualification or certificate or just sort of the knowledge that they've uh, gone through those courses. So there's a lot of things for them to do and a lot of things for the players to do and coaches and the support staff and volunteers out there. So. Again, that's why we're going back to a phased approach in terms of all this is sort of we're advising clubs make sure you get them to do this first. You know, don't rush back. The season isn't going to start sort of in the next couple of weeks there's a long time before you know we're not even in a contact stage we can't do that and we've told people we're not starting any form of competitive rugby in September we know that we're still in a situation where it could be in October but it could be later than October as well it is important that uh, people prepare themselves educate themselves and go through the process we said in terms of all the education that they can do online and that's what we're pushing at the moment in time and uh, Hopefully, that'll be the case when uh, everybody goes back to some form of training. What
0: sort of stuff is being covered in those courses? A lot of safety, I imagine, but also changes to the way people are training and playing, physical changes.
1: There's a couple of aspects, obviously, in terms of just arriving at a training session, the knowledge for players of what they can and can't do. So, have they been symptom-free for 14 days? Have they ticked that box to send over to their team manager, COVID operations manager? How do they drive you know are they coming on public transport do they adhere to the guidelines of the government to go on public transport that's important driving in a car of their own the sanitization prior to entering the facility after they've trained the sanitization afterwards immediately leaving after training and everybody wants the social element to talk to people they haven't seen for a long period of time our advice you get in, you do your training, you get out. It's, uh, and I know it sounds a little bit harsh, you know, get in, get down, and get out sort of. Uh, it's important for us. It's how they work on the field, how they liaise with each other on the field, the they're coughing, the they're sneezing on the field, you know, making sure it's done the correct way, not sharing water bottles, not spitting on the floor. They're vital things in terms of making sure that we are not a cause of this virus spreading and having a second spike, we want to allow our players to, want to be in a safe environment, to go home safely to their families, which is vitally important, and that we're not the cause of, a, as I said uh, earlier, of a second spike. So there's a lot of things for them to do, and it's important that they do it. That'll allow us, hopefully, to show government of all the safety measures that we are put in place, and that it'll allow us to be able to promote that we could close the social distance in part earlier, and we could get our competitive games back a little bit earlier. If we don't adhere to the guidelines we give and the guidelines that government give, then uh, rugby as we know it in terms of a contract element may not uh, start for a long period of time, but we need to make sure that we're part of the solution.
0: So we're round about a week from that return. There's a Welsh Government announcement, as you say, in, in that period to come as well. But what will training look like when people do restart? We've heard how they get there and some of the protocols, but actually on the field, what will it look like? I
1: think you know the key thing for us is sort of one: they're on the field there. They have to stay that social distance, two meters away. Our advises them that that they're in small groups. You know, even though there's a gathering of 30, we're not advising that there should be gatherings of 30. You can split your field up. You're going to have to have an area of the field where people can walk through and walk out safely as well. The one-way system. So it's that there, but the health, the fitness, doing certain activities. We will give guidelines as well. We are producing a booklet and guidelines for coaches to support coaches in our coaching locker, which will be available when uh, sanctioned training starts for our mini sections, for our junior sections, and for our senior sections. So we'll give them guidelines on what activities they can do in terms of non contact games, social distance sort of activities that they can do. But also, I think during this period of time, I think. One of the things about our coaches is we want them to be creative. What can they do to make their training exciting, it's enjoyable for the youngsters, brings a lot of energy, but also that creativity part of it. You know, Interesting from a coaching perspective, you read people saying coaching has taken the creativity out of the game and we're telling people what they can and can't do. What a fantastic opportunity we have now said to our coaches, be creative out there, think of all these activities, sit down and think of what you can do during this period of time with our young players. You know, The development of the skill levels that we can actually do, the individual skill level of a person to be able to sort of, how do they catch a ball, how do they run, weaving in and out, beating people, going around people, acceleration. So there's so many things I think they can do, which are important elements of the game. And that when they come back to sort of more team-based contact based elements of the game they've done a lot of the base work prior to that so i think there are plenty of things to do and hopefully the you know the coaches will find it uh, an opportunity as i said to uh, maybe think differently and um, by doing that maybe they'll enjoy what they're doing the players will enjoy what they're doing and start of a sort of a different way of actually coaching our young players and our senior players as well so uh Hopefully that, that'll happen, but I think the word creativity, energy, excitement and it's something that we're pushing out with our coaches, and as I said, we'll provide guidelines to help them as well.
0: I suppose the phrase attacking the space has never been more appropriate.
1: <laughs> well, I think sort of talk about players, and everybody said about what's Wales' DNA? Yeah, we are creative players, always been able to express ourselves, we've always been able to attack the space, we've always done things slightly different well, there's no better time to actually really excel in that particular area right now. And we have a great lot of rugby knowledge out there. It's in our DNA, you know, there's a lot of ex-players coaching, parents who watch the game, very, very good quality Welsh coaches out there use that knowledge and then use that sort of experience that they have to pass that information out to the players that they're coaching. And as you said, sort of, it could bring about a different type of game moving forward is that we will see less contact games. I've seen more players attacking space and moving the ball more than ever, so hopefully we will see that uh, as we progress through this period
0: and guarantee all that uh, support in terms of webinars and so on, but there's a cold financial side to this as well in terms of some of the equipment and so on. what's happening there?
1: You're correct there, so obviously sort of we want people to come back to trade we want people to come back safely as I've said all the way along and uh, we have a club development team and we've had a workforce uh, working closely with our clubs. And at the very start of uh, this process in COVID, you know, we gave a thousand pounds to each particular club, they've had their audit money, they've had uh, financial support from local authorities as well, which we've guided them every single Friday with uh, a newsletter to help them to. Uh, get finances and right now in terms of return to train we'll support each club with uh, a small amount of the money we've put aside you know we will we'll give each member club and district club 500 pounds starting from next week to help them purchase equipment so that uh, players can come back safely in there and we'll guide them with information of where they can get their equipment from the supply chain and the costs in terms of that as well so that'll be another start next week so uh, we've always tried to sort of help them throughout this process our aim has always been to get our clubs through this even though it's a small financial element next week we still uh, have opportunities to financially support them through this process as well but our first part of the. The money that we put aside, which we announced the other week of £600,000, the first part of it is a 500 donation next week to help and support them, start up buying equipment to get them back to return to train safely.
0: There's always this focus on the 15-a-side game, I suppose, but as you say, it's it's minis, it's juniors, it's all the different types of, of rugby from touch to walking rugby, whatever it may be, and, and in some ways, some of those are going to be easier to bring back than the earlier than the full 15-a-side game.
1: Yeah, you're correct. And maybe a situation where, you know, that social distance element, you know, with two meters, it could go down to one meter. Government say, yes, you can play some form of touch rugby. Well, then touch rugby is allowed. You know, we're not sure when that could be allowed, but that could be the first part of uh, reduction in sanctions. So um, if that is the case, you know, touch rugby games different types of games five a side six to side got seven a side touch you know the rules of touch rugby we've got a touch rugby organization you know taking their game as well modifying their game There's elements that we can do that, and not only at mini level and junior level, but that could be something that the senior level players as well sort of have uh, games of when they're doing their training sessions. So at the moment, we're in that two-meter space, but as I said, by July the 31st, that may be reduced. When touch rugby comes in or a touch element could come in, and we don't know if that would be the next stage. We could go from two meters to uh, full contact uh, stage, but we don't know. So what we will do, and we've said all along is that every time there is a government announcement so for example next week july the 31st there's a government announcement on the friday immediately then on the third we will have uh, another update with our clubs, we'll provide another infographic, we'll provide another release for our clubs to help them understand of what has been released, what's the key messages, what they can and can't do in our training sessions. We've always said that we would do that, we will continue to do that to support them through the space, but you never know, touch could be the next element, but we have to wait and see really. If we're, we do meet Welsh Government on a regular basis each week with ourselves, Sport Wales and the Welsh Sports Association plus a lot of the other governing bodies as well, to pass on our views and thoughts, to share our thoughts of what we're doing, to share the uh, guidelines that we're putting in place. And hopefully that uh, helps the whole community in Wales to get back and become active again, which is, uh, I think, important for the health of the nation.
0: And the women and girls game, a lot of that at community level was going to be going on over the summer, which obviously hasn't happened. What are the going to be the changes on, on that side?
1: Right throughout this process, we've said that no matter what in terms of the the game coming back, everybody will be exactly the same. So in terms of the men's game and the women's game, when the actual games itself in terms of a contact element come back, then uh, the expectation is that everybody will come back altogether. So uh, we will have to look at the age grade factor that there could be differences in that, but I wouldn't want to say that there definitely will be but that's something that the government could come out uh, with and tell us that uh, some minis and juniors could play earlier than the senior rugby but we're not sure of that and I wouldn't want uh, people to think that automatically is going to happen but in terms of the women's game that is something that we're in discussions with all the time we have a competitions committee which has been given the actual task of making the final decision of when competition rugby will start as a, as we know it and uh, that'll also not just include the male game but also include the female game as well and uh, uh, that'll be important for people to know. You know, Over the next couple of weeks, we'll continue to have those competitions committee and we'll continue to uh, make sure that we have our communication links with not only the male game, but also the uh, the female club game and our female hub programme as well.
0: People would also expect over pre-season to have maybe six to eight weeks building up to the season is that the sort of period that we're it's impossible to put a timing on the return but is that the sort of period that people are beginning to think of that it's going to be at least six to eight weeks before competition returns
1: that's our constant discussion i said it's interesting we chat with other governing bodies Now, some clubs will start on uh, august the 3rd they'll be out there training and uh, they'll have more than six weeks because the key element for us is when the social distance and contact is allowed once contact is allowed we will then say there will be six weeks before a competitive competition starts. You know, so that'll be there. They will have a six-week pre-season, and that could include friendly games. In that, we will make sure that they have the clear guidelines of what they can and can't do at that period of time. So we're working on that phase right now to make sure what they can and can't do, and we'll communicate that with the clubs. But it will be important that whether it's young players or older players, they have not played for a long period of time. It's our duty to make sure again that they come back in a safe way and they've had enough preparation to do that as well. So uh, we are a physical contact sport. So we need to make sure that when we do play a competitive game, they've had enough preparation and time to prepare themselves and prepare their body for that as well. And to have the correct uh, coaching as well, because that's important, because especially in the younger age, they go from touch rugby to early contact. So it's important that those youngsters are able to do that correctly. And also that the coaches who are coaching them, do it in the correct way as well so in terms of coaching you know we you know we have to think differently on that you know our coaching system and coaching courses you know we can't do it face to face so again the new phrase the webinars and video conferencing however you want to call it are going to be more productive than ever and there's going to be more of them but six to eight weeks that is something we look at you know there's the You know, the top end of the community game, which is premiership, which includes sort of amateur, semi-professional. and There could be professional players involved in that particular space. That is something we have to look at. And we know the professional game is back right now. So we need to make sure that um, that is correct to be able to support the professional players if they're going to be playing in the top end of the community game in the premiership. So that is a period of time and preparation time has to be really really right in that aspect so to support both and then you have the community game whereby we must make sure that uh, people are able to go into a contact environment safely as well before they play so we have said that six weeks will be there and uh, we'll make sure we'll give them guidelines what they can and can't do during those six weeks.
0: Does that six-week buffer, in a way, take the pressure away from the question everyone's asking about when competitions return? Because at whatever point contact is allowed, you know it'll be at least six weeks from then. So you don't need to say now it's going to be October the first or or whatever without without having that information certain.
1: That's correct. I said you know one of the key things you know, is that. The announcements will tell us whatever day the announcement we have, we could turn around and say right we know now exactly that we're not allowed to do contact and it could be six weeks from then but you know there's certain things that we've got to take into account of when is the best time but we will give clubs that opportunity to actually prepare themselves and get themselves ready so uh, if we said you know we're going to come back we said the first Saturday of October, that means the government announcement, which is on August the 21st, is going to be vital. We've got an announcement on the 31st of July, and if they maintain their three-week uh, announcements, the next announcement is August the 21st. Six weeks from August the 21st is the first Saturday of October. If contact is not allowed on August the 21st, it'll be very, very difficult for us to start a competitive contact game on the first saturday of october because we wouldn't have had that six weeks so these announcements are really important for us and uh, that's why we're in the middle of those discussions but we've always said you know we've got to make sure that people come back to the game safely and that's important and we've said october people think october is a long way away yes it is however the announcement august the 21st is important in preparation for that october and hopefully hopefully you understood uh, exactly what i said then
0: Yes, and yeah. <laughs> I suppose what it shows is that you're just putting everything in place. The clubs have to put everything in place so that everything's ready to go at whatever point it's allowed to go.
1: And I don't think that's the key. I think sort of like we know there could be people who are frustrated it could be training for two months three months uh, in terms of before we get the uh, go ahead to go and the last thing we want to do is for people to be trained three months and then by the time we get the green light to go they're going oh crikey you know we're, we're too bored to play now but hopefully they won't be in that situation but the aim is that once we do get the green light and we know when contact is people will be they know then straight away six weeks right we know what we're doing we're ready to go we can play some friendlies during that period of time we do the right preparation for contact and there's an opportunity there so we've always said the important part for us is to prepare plan and make sure everybody's ready to play and that because you know, we've also got to get the clubhouses ready, the changing rooms ready, how do people access, are the people able to sort of access the the changing rooms correctly, because even though we could be playing, are we going to be playing with supporters or without supporters and that's a discussion we're having as well, You know, do clubs want to play when there's nobody allowed supporters and how would you sanction that, how would you make sure that that is the case, who's allowed in there. So there's still a lot of unanswered questions here and people want the answers now, but we're going through this phased approach. We've got certain recommendations that they should be doing now. So by the time we get to play, no matter what type of format the game is or what whether support is allowed or number of people allowed, we will make sure that everybody is ready. We'll have an staff and support and webinars and in place to be able to sort of uh, get it off the ground, and that's key for us. But also, we are conscious of the work that the clubs require to do as well to make it happen, and we can only do this if we're all supporting each other and helping each other and the feeling I have at the moment and the clubs are doing all they can and they've been exceptional in what they've been doing to be able to play uh, and to get it done uh, correctly.
0: So just to sum up, lots of work going on both within the WIU and within the clubs and still a bit of a waiting game but still looking at potentially October though it may slip from there.
1: There's key announcements you know we've always said all along October, December, January is we will st- keep saying that until we know any differently and there is going to be flexibility we can't categorically say we're going to be starting in october and we can't say the same even if january we are in this waiting game and right now i think every sport isn't exactly the same you know all you can do is put the preparation put the guidelines support as much as we possibly can help each other support each other and uh, as i said it's sort of the key thing for us when we do get back to play that uh, you know everybody's ready everybody's excited and uh, it'll be good to see people out there on the field but uh, we will continue to do it phase, safely prepare, and we'll plan everybody and uh, support each other and uh you know we need their supporters and and they need our support, so we 'll do it collectively together. Lots of work being done, and we don 't have the answers which i you know no. that 's one of the first things I say on a, on a webinar people are say before we start the webinar, I cannot tell you when we 're going to start playing so uh, it takes that question off the webinar straight away but Our goal is to make sure that everybody's safe in doing this and excited about coming back as well because it is going to be exciting when everybody's back. You know, everybody wants to go out there and play and uh, people want to go out there and support. And I'm the same as everybody else, but I want to do it safely and correctly.
0: Geraint, thanks very much for making that as clear as it's possible to make it (laughs) in the current circumstances. Thanks very much. No, thank you. So that's the latest information on what could happen to community rugby in Wales over the next few weeks and months with WIU Community Director Garrett John on this week's Welsh Rugby Union podcast. Plenty more next week. Until then, goodbye and stay safe.